All right, well, we're going to get back into 2 Timothy this morning, and uh, the passage we're going to look at today in this series that we titled Rise Above, and the reason we titled uh, the series on 2 Timothy Rise Above is that this is being written by the elderly Paul, who is uh, an apostle and an fo- early follower of Jesus. He wrote much of the New Testament, and one of his chief uh, protégés was a young man named Timothy. And so Paul is writing now to Timothy, the last letter he writes to him that we have record of. And, and he's just pouring into Timothy kind of like his final thoughts for Timothy. And basically he's telling Timothy, he's teaching Timothy how to rise above the norm. And Jesus didn't call us into this life with him so we could live normal lives. He called us to live above the norm, to live above the norm in whatever culture we find ourselves, but really even to live above the norm, especially in our, in our country, to be, live, to be able to live above the norm of what we consider to be Christianity and, and what uh, evangelical Christianity would be across our land. That, that's not the norm that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to something deeper than that, something higher than that. And 2 Timothy teaches us how to walk that out. This passage today is one of the most important passages, I believe, in the whole New Testament because it shows us some very powerful truths. And one of them is it shows us what it means to be trapped by the devil, to be snared by the devil. It tells us what that means. And as well, it tells us how freedom comes to people that are snared by the devil. That's good, isn't it? And then as followers of Jesus, this passage shows us what God calls us to and how we fit into the process of bringing freedom to people who are snared by the devil. And so that's some pretty good stuff because that's gonna, this passage will show us how to relate to family members that either don't know Jesus or they know Jesus and they're, they're living in some delusional state as to what that really means. It'll show us how to relate to children, to parents, to brothers and sisters, to neighbors and co-workers, some of whom are even in opposition to the faith or they present themselves as being oppositional all the time to, to whatever topic comes up regarding the faith. But we're going to pray and then we're going to read, read this, these verses. So Father, uh, we know that you gave us this passage and it's your intent that we don't just learn from it and, and we don't just have some interesting thoughts bouncing around in our heads. We know it's your intent that you really reveal the truth of this to our hearts so that we change, so that our minds are renewed, so that we walk like Jesus walked and live like Jesus lived. So we ask you to give us a a spirit of revelation and wisdom as we go through this passage in Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's gonna come up on the screen, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. Um, the, so, some, of the, some of the translation is mine, some of it is from the New American Standard Bible, but I corrected some things that I think were, uh, were translated wrongly. All right, so we start off at verse 24. He says, he's just told them this. He's just said, don't quibble about words. Don't, don't quarrel with people over secondary stupid issues, he's saying. Don't, don't get involved in that. And he says, this is why. 
because the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses out of the devil's snare, having been taken captive into his, meaning the devil's will. Now, that, those last couple phrases, a little bit awkward, but it's a real accurate translation, that they come to their senses out of the devil's snare. And a lot of the translations will translate it, that they come to their senses and escape from the devil's snare. But the, the, the emphasis here is more that they are living in a realm of having been deceived, and, and it would be the same of, as someone saying, well, I came to Jesus out of alcoholism. I came to Jesus out of uncontrolled rage. Or I came to Jesus out of depression. And he's saying here, these people are going to come to their senses out of this place of being snared by the devil. But it goes on to say then that, that those who have been snared have been taken captive, and most translations uh, translate it this way, captive to serve his will or to do his will, meaning Satan's will. But it's really, it's just captive to his will. They're captive to his will. And that's important when, when you see where we're gonna go with this. Because what I wanna do is compare two things. There, there are, there, there's a contrast here in this passage that you have to see to really get the meaning of it. And the contrast is between the Lord's bondservant and the one taken captive to the devil's will. Can you flip those things up on the screen? The Lord's bondservant and the one taken captive to the devil's will. And this comparison is really significant because a bondservant, um, what he's talking about here, well, well, in the Old Testament, there was uh, a system in place that anybody that was brought into some form of slavery-type servitude, after seven years, they were set free. And so Israel was way ahead of the cultures around them because they, they had a system where if, if there was slavery, the person was set free after seven years. But at the end of seven years, if that one decided that they liked living in that household, they liked their master, and they had settled in there, and they have friends there, and they don't want to leave, then they would pierce their ear and give them a ring that they would wear in their ear, and that meant that they were a willing servant, and so that, that would be the equivalent of this word, a bond servant. Someone who has willingly submitted their will to another. Now you contrast that to this person that has been taken captive to the devil's will. The bond servant of the Lord has freely chosen to give himself to the Lord's will, recognizing that that's what he was created for. And recognizing that God's will is not something that he exercises trying to keep us under control. I think a lot of people think that God's will or God's righteousness or uh, just obedience to God and, and everything the Bible says is kind of like fifth grade teacher. I used to be a fifth grade school teacher laying down a bunch of rules just to get control of the classroom. Rules that really have no meaning in and of themselves. They are just rules. You sit down. You cannot get out of your seat. 
stuff like that. That God's just, he sees the world as a mess, and so he said, well, okay, we got to clean this mess up. All right, from now on, no sex outside of marriage. From now on, no lying. From now on, no stealing. That, that's, that's, not God, that's not what God's will is like at all. God's will is just simply an expression of the goodness of his nature. And it is a reflection of how he created us. Because he created us in his image. And when, when, I, when I'm born because of Adam's sin, I'm born with a fallen nature. But when I come to know Jesus, I get a new nature. I am made brand new, totally new, new heart. And it's only when I am acting in consistency with that new heart that I'm joyful. Otherwise, there's like a grinding inside my heart because my heart is, is new. My heart desires to be like God, and, and I, I have, I, I'm made in his image. And, and so when, when we read the Bible, what he's showing us is, is how to live according to the heart he created us with, how to live like Jesus, which then puts us in sync when our actions and our thoughts, and a big part of it is the renewal of the mind, but the renewal of the mind isn't simply a new system of thinking. It is that, but it's more than that. The way it comes about is not through my intellect being convinced, being convinced intellectually this is right and this is wrong. A lot of Christians live in that realm. Intellectually, I believe this is right and this is wrong, and so I'm going to fight to avoid this, and I'm going to fight to try to get into this, the right thing. But the simple truth is, what it takes is for God to touch our hearts, and there's a revelation that happens then, so that I'm not looking at it as right versus wrong, I'm looking at it as God's nature, and who I am created to be, and what I desire to be in my heart of hearts, I desire to be that, that's what I want to be. And so the bondservant of the Lord has freely chosen to live under God's good, loving will and to submit his will to the Lord's will. And that's when you live with joy. That's when you live with joy. But this, this one taken captive to the devil's will, rather than a bond slave, that's more like being a galley slave. You've seen the movies. Someone is taken into slavery. They're chained to an oar in the bottom of a war boat. And they're going to sit there and they're going to use that that, that person's life is going to be used up right there until they die sitting on that bench chained to that oar. That's Satan. And you get snared into that. You see, they fall into a snare. And a snare is something that happens by deceit. It's not willing. It's not, it's not like saying, oh, I think I'm going to fall, into the, uh, fall under Satan's uh, rule. It is a snare, and so it happens by deceit. And so it's not willing. It's not that the person has decided that this is the right way, and they become captive. They are a prisoner. There, there's no freedom in this whatsoever. And while the bondservant of the Lord is able to understand and see truth, this person is confused. They've lost their senses. That's why it says they have to come to their senses. They're out of their right, they're not in their right mind. They think they are. And because of that, they don't even know that they're captive. They don't even know that they've been ensnared most of the time. And so there's this strong contrast between the two with the bondservant living in freedom in the realm of God's good, loving will, where there is joy. 
contrasted with this person who has been taken captive, been snared. And you know, there's something insidious about a snare because most snares, if you get snared, the harder you fight it, the tighter the snare becomes. Like a rabbit snare, a little loop. Rabbits goes, goes in the, the loop, you know, the, the trip is tripped and the loop wraps around their neck. The harder they fight, the tighter, the, the more captured they become. And so, and so they are captive to this realm of Satan's will. And so the believer, the bondservant who understands and who is growing in revelation and, and understanding in their life and they're growing in greater intimacy with Jesus, with the Father, that person lives with joy and freedom, but this person who is ensnared, they don't even know it, but they're living in a, a realm of confusion and pain and heartache. Remember what the Banoff said, uh, Georgian and um, Winnie Banoff? I can't remember which one of them said this, but uh, here, here it is. Here's the quote. You can serve the, def- you can serve the Lord, uh, sorry, you can serve the Lord with joy or you can serve the devil with heartache. You can serve the Lord with joy or you can serve the devil with heartache. How many of us want to serve the devil with heartache? Nobody? That's good. How many want to serve the Lord with joy? Yeah, all of us do, don't we? But I'm going to say this right now. It's possible to raise your hand right there and think that you mean it and, and really, if you're ensnared, you don't understand it. Does that make sense? Okay, so what this takes is at this point in this message right now, it takes real humility just to say, God, is that possible? You know, God, where, where, where is, is there, am I living under some delusion? That I, that I think I really have this Christian thing nailed down, but I'm really living according to rules instead of according to life. And when we're willing to recognize that, then the, the good stuff that's in this passage can begin to happen. But um, here's a key truth. I got this um, from, uh, and several insights in this message from a friend of mine, uh, Tori. And uh, Tori had, uh, actually had a dream about this passage, didn't you, Tori? And the Lord spoke to him some really key things. And so he came up and told me, I, had, I have some really key stuff God's spoken to me about. But um, yeah, Tori's sitting right down here. He's a first service guy and a friend and had a great time this week talking. But here's one of the things Tori shared with me. He said this, when you've fallen under bondage to the evil one, you need the Lord's bond slave to set you free. Get that? When you've fallen under bondage to the evil one, you need the Lord's bond slave to set you free. There's a difference between being under bondage and being the Lord's bond slave. But the Lord's bond slave has the authority and the power when it is used rightly to free the person who is under bondage to the evil one. So the truth is none of us are intended to do this alone. I used to think before I really started to understand the kingdom and the Holy Spirit, I thought it's just me and God. That's it right there. I don't need anybody else. I don't need anybody to lay hands on me or to pray for me because I've got Jesus. Why do I need anything else? But the truth is, and God spoke to me about this 25 years ago, the reason laying on of hands and release of the presence of God and healing comes so often through laying on of hands is for community's sake. I need to realize I'm not alone. God didn't create us to be alone. 
And he didn't create us just to be in relationship with him, but to be in relationship with him and all of his people. And so the way God's designed it, we need each other. And so the the person who has fallen under bondage to the devil really needs someone who's living under God's will to free them. Now, this is why Jesus came. Jesus said of himself, he said, I came to set the prisoners free. Set them to, to proclaim uh, release to the captives. That's why Jesus came. He came to, and what actually says this in Acts 10, 38, it says, you've heard about Jesus, whom God anointed with power and with the Holy Spirit, and how he went around doing good and freeing all those who were oppressed by the devil. You read Jesus' ministry, you better realize that he, he was constantly in confrontation with the devil and the work the devil was doing in people's lives. And he came to heal them. Now, if, you, if we had time, I'd trace this for you and show you. But the word healing in the New Testament doesn't always mean physical healing. There are times that word is used to refer to someone being freed from a demonic stronghold in their life. And so Jesus came to heal all those who were oppressed by the devil. That was his purpose. Uh, God called the apostle Paul, and Paul said that, that when, when, when uh, Jesus met him on that road, Paul had been actually resistant to the gospel. He was persecuting Christians. And he says, and then Jesus met him in, in, a, in a vision one day, and he said this, he said, to Paul, I want you to open their eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then their sins will be forgiven, and by faith in me, they will become part of God's holy people. And to the apostles, Jesus had said this it says, He called the twelve and he gave them power and authority over sickness and over all the power of the enemy. And you might say, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, okay, good news. The very next chapter, Luke 9, was where he sent the apostles out. In Luke 10, it says he sent 72 others out who weren't apostles. And they went out, and they healed the sick and cast out demons. And, and, and then he tells this whole crowd of believers at the end of his life, as he's ascending back to heaven, or at the end of his time on earth, as he's ascending back to heaven, he tells them, Go out into the nations, make disciples of all the nations, and teach them everything I've taught you. And what he taught them was how not only to reveal truth to people, but in the revealing of truth to people, to use his power to free them from demonic strongholds. And so each and every one of us are called to this as believers in Christ. Now here is um, a quote from a famous rabbi. And um, I'm going to put it up on the screen right now. Is it up there? Okay. You can only take the ground in the earth that you've already taken in your heart. Okay? Rabbi Fleckenstein. That would be Tori Fleckenstein. (laughs) Tori does have Jewish background, okay? This is another thing Tori gave me this week, that the Lord spoke to him. You can only take ground in the earth, meaning in ministry, in this earth, releasing the kingdom that you've already taken in your own heart. You've already submitted that area of your heart to the Lord. So if you're you're trapped in pornography, chances are you're not going to be used to release somebody else from pornography. 
chances are. I mean, God can do whatever he wants to do. But normal operating procedure would be when you gain victory in an area, you have authority over that realm. So that when you're ministering to someone else, you have authority over that realm to free them. Whatever it might be, depression, um, sexual sin, whatever it might be, you gain authority over that realm. But it just shows us how, how important it is that, that we are growing in our relationship with Jesus personally. That, that I'm recognizing that his will is good and it's a blessing to live in. And, and it's the only way I'm going to really be in sync. My whole system is in sync when I have my mind renewed to match my, my new heart and that I'm living out of that. And when I do, then not only is this authority come, but uh, what, what, a couple of steps in this. One would be intimacy with the Father. Jesus said, I love the Father. I do everything he says. He loves me and he shows me everything. He, t- he tells me everything he's doing. And so there's this incredible intimacy that Jesus had with God the Father. And then later Jesus said to his apostles, uh, the night before he died in fact, he said, I'm not calling you guys servants anymore, I'm calling you friends because I have told you everything that the Father has told me. And so Jesus draws us into that intimate love relationship with the Father. And now it's something that you and I need to pursue The psalmist said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you or thirsts for you, O God. And so you picture a deer who is near death, its tongue is swollen and hanging out of its mouth, and it's desperately looking for water. It's desperately looking for a brook of water to drink from. And he's saying, that's how my soul feels. That's how my heart feels. And for every one of us to to sit before God, just to sit with him, not, not to sit with him so I could tell him all the problems in my life so he can fix them. That, that's not intimacy. We need to get beyond that. Now, he wants to know them. He wants us to tell them to him. And if you need to do that first, just so you can sit with him, do that. Write them down and read the list off. God, I need help with all these. Now I'm going to put this aside, and I just want to sit with you. God, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. I want to have a greater hunger for you in my life and for everything that you bring to my life. And you just sit with him. You open the Bible and you say, God, make these words alive to me. They are alive. They're living. Speak to me through them. Give me life. Fill up my soul and my heart with them. And we we need to pursue intimacy with God. And, you know, as we do, then we walk in this this sense of just growing obedience that is aligning our lives as I've already shared with you. And out of that comes power. It comes, it comes power. And Paul said in one place, the kingdom of God does not consist of words, but of power. It's power. And, and we want to walk, and he told the church, he said, we told that fledgling church, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit's come upon you because when he does, you will receive power. And we need the power of God for our own lives. And, and when we engage in this concept of, you know, I want to be used by you, God, to free others, we recognize how much uh, we so desperately need the power of God. 
when my son, uh, Chad, our firstborn, was about five years old, I was out spading the garden. And this, I had spaded this garden up, and we had used, we'd planted tomatoes and beans on it for several years by that time. And he's, he's just a little guy about this big, and, but he wanted to take that shovel. The shovel's about this high. And so he, he grabs the shovel where he could, and we put it in the right spot, and he put his foot on it. And he's pushing as hard as he can, and he gets it in maybe half an inch into the soil. And what I did was I took hold of the shovel up above him, and I just leaned, and I pushed and the shovel went right into the earth. And so he did it, didn't he? But it was my power. And we did it together. And he knew I was helping him. But he still felt this joy and accomplishment in what he had done, but he also felt the joy and accomplishment of having done it with his dad. And I got to experience the joy of having done this with my son. And so all the illustrations break down at some point because... I wasn't able to actually give him my weight and strength. And, well, now he's probably caught up to me weight-wise. But, uh, Chad, if you're listening, actually, Chad is probably 20 pounds less than me right now. Okay. But uh, he actually gives us power, and we get to use it as we walk in intimacy with him. And so let's just look at this real quickly. What, what ties these two together? And, and there's a certain heart attitude that ties everything together here. And, and that's uh, in this next uh, slide, Alec, it's part of the verse there. He tells us how, how we are to deal with people. Not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. You know, you know, a quarrelsome person has to be right. A quarrelsome person will argue about things they don't even care about. Because if they know more than the other person, they need to show that person. And how dare you talk like an authority about that? I know more than you about that. And I'm going I'm to put you in your place. That's a quarrelsome, not quarrelsome, nothing to prove. But kind, kindness starts with the heart. It starts with intimacy with the Father. Because if I'm intimate with the Father, that means his heart's going to bleed into my heart. And I'm going to be able to see people from his perspective. One of the things that God's teaching me about right now is the whole concept of spiritual fathering, spiritual fathers and mothers. And what is it to be a spiritual father? Uh, And what is it to be a spiritual brother or sister? Here's what it is. You're looking at somebody and you feel like you have to talk to them about something. They've maybe hurt you or offended you or they're doing something that that you think they shouldn't be doing. You, You say, if this was my sister... How would I want someone to approach her? If this was my brother, how would I want someone to approach... If this was my daughter, how would I want someone to approach her? Or my son, how would I want... And, and then you get in touch with the father's heart and you can, you can approach, you can go at this then with kindness. Able to teach is the next phrase. That doesn't mean that you, can, you know how to put a good message together and you can give a good lecture. Able to teach means you know how to relate to people in a way to open their hearts up to receive truth. So it's not lecturing. And you know what? That, that entails listening. Listening. Whether I agree with what they're saying or not. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm, boy, I never thought of it that way before. You listen and understand their heart. And when you do that, something magical happens. Something powerful, spiritual, supernatural happens. Patient when wronged. Do you know that if you respond in kind... 
like I've seen parents make this mistake and I've seen teachers make this mistake. As a parent and as a former teacher, I have made this mistake many times. You get into an argument with a fifth grader over something and you know what you've just done? You're not elevating that fifth grader, you are making yourself like a fifth grader. You get in an argument with your 17-year-old and you're arguing with them about something, whatever it might be, you are, you're putting yourself at their level. You're not lifting them up. You're not raising them up. And, and so patient when wronged, because you're going to be wronged in the process of talking to people who are deluded and who, who are in the snare of the devil. But then gentleness, just gentleness, kindness, tenderness. And here is another quote from Rabbi Fleckenstein. Stein or Steen? Stein. Stein, Fleckenstein. Okay, this is really good. Gentle and kind words, and Tori got this from the Lord, okay? Okay, so let's just acknowledge that. Really, it's Jesus' word, but gentle and kind words open a person's heart. Gentle and kind words, and I'm going to add listening, opens a person's heart. They don't know they're deceived, so an argument won't move them. If I don't know I'm deceived and I can't even acknowledge that I'm deceived because I can't see it, then arguments aren't going to move me. They're not going to touch me. But what will touch me will be love, kindness, honor, appreciation. And then the heart opens up. And what happens at that moment when the heart starts to open up is that God may grant them repentance. Then God touches their mind because their heart's opening up. And, and they, they have a moment then when they have the opportunity to acknowledge the truth. Or it may not be just one instantaneous moment. It might be a series of steps. But they have a moment then to make a decision about embarking on a journey to acknowledge the truth. But when the Holy Spirit gives them, repentance means a change of mind. Here's something really great that came from Graham Cook. He said this, When the opportunity of a lifetime comes, you must step through the door within the framework of the opportunity. Okay, when the opportunity of a lifetime comes, you must step through the door within the framework of that opportunity. And that means when this happened to me when I was in college and months before I got saved, I I was living in this lifestyle that was just totally opposite to godliness and a a young girl that I had known my freshman year of college talked to me about Jesus and I really felt impacted I could sense God's presence I believed she was right but I I didn't make any decision to open my heart at that moment I just walked away and everything that I was experiencing at that moment while I was talking with her faded And it wasn't until months later that I had another moment where I saw the truth. And and God gave me that moment. And and this time I responded. And I said, Jesus, come into my life. I'm I'm so sorry for the way I've been living. And I opened my heart up to him. And, And then there's this process that happens where there's more and more and more understanding and revelation. But here's the thing. It is approaching people not to try to convince them intellectually, but approaching them with kindness and gentleness and love doesn't mean that you don't express your opinion, but you express your opinion not in an argumentative or combative way. It's not point and counterpoint. 
You, you let them go point, 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 point. Yeah, it's really, it's, I can see you've really thought about this. Have you thought about this? Because here's how I look at it. Here's how I've learned to see this. That Jesus really is the son of God. And, and just reading the Bible, something in that just affirms that to my heart. But, but, and and you, speak, you speak what you perceive as truth, but you don't do it in a point and counterpoint way, but with gentleness of heart and listening. And boy, we had, um, yeah, I want to take some time right now and just for us all to pray together, okay? Just realizing that um, th- this snare thing, you know, it could be you just feel so totally justified in not forgiving your spouse because they've done the same thing over and over and over and over again and you're, you've, closed, you've, you've grown bitter. That's a snare of the enemy. You know, the lie is I have the right to be bitter. The lie is I have to protect myself. And, and if I forgive them, then they'll just take advantage of me. That's the lie. The truth is, Jesus said, you forgive 70 times 7. And do you know that as soon as we take up bitterness towards someone, we take up an offense towards them, we cut our hearts off from anything God wants to do in our lives through them. And, and according to some of the things Jesus said, we substantially cut our hearts off from what God wants to do in us. And so there's bitterness that can be so deceptive or, or you might be trapped in pornography and you, you, you vow you're never going to do this again and, and, but you're looking at it as right and wrong and Jesus said don't do it so I'm not going to do it but you're not really realizing that you're not designed for that. The reason it never tastes good once you turn the computer off is that you're not designed for that. You have a new nature And the real you, the real new you, the new creation that God made you to be doesn't really want that. That's why it's a struggle in the first place. And so when the the temptation, when you're depressed or you're lonely or you haven't slept right and you're thinking, I I just need something, you know, I feel so bad, I feel so horrible. And the reason that people get into things like pornography is that it gives them a moment of reprieve, so so to speak. And you're thinking, oh, I just just need to get out of this life into something else, something, and it is make-believe, but that's what makes it something that kind of releases pressure. And, and, but you're struggling with it, realize it's not the real you that wants that. It's not the real you that wants that. And what you need to do at that moment is to say, God, you give me a new heart, and, and in my new heart, I don't want that. The real me, the, the real new me, the core of who I am, doesn't want that. So Holy Spirit, give me strength to say no to it right now, and I promise you, he's gonna give you strength at that moment. And you're going to be able to take steps to break free. But you also need prayer. You need prayer from others that are going to, that's going to release and free you. And, and judgment. Looking at other people. Why do they dress that way? You know, why does she have to wear that kind of clothes? What's wrong with her? And who does he think he is with a haircut like that? What, what's he trying to prove? What's going on with this? Or... Or maybe for some of the older of us, what the heck is up with all of those tattoos? 
I mean, there's judgment. And, and, and we judge people, and you hear about a problem someone has in their life, you think, well, it doesn't surprise me. Well, that's judgment. That's not mercy. That's not weeping with those who weep or expressing the heart of Jesus, a broken heart over people who are in pain. And we want to break that. And I want to tell you, if you've been coming here and, and you can say, yeah, you know, there's this critical spirit I have. There's this judgmental spirit I have. This church was founded on mercy. And, and, and we used to say all the time, you know, we're all broken people. We used to say all the time that uh, you don't have to be perfect. But what, what we do w- want to see in growing disciples is the willingness to take the next step, whatever that might be, whatever Jesus tells you. But we can pray for you and give you freedom from that today. And the whole sexual issue, the whole sexual thing, we can pray for you and give you freedom from that today. And whatever other things are, are binding our hearts, we're going we're to receive communion later. And remember, the body, this is my body given for you. And so often Jesus healed people through touch. He touched and released God's presence. And here he gives us a touch point of faith. This is my blood shed for you. There's a touch point of faith. It's as if you're that woman standing alongside the road. Jesus is going by and you're reaching out. And when when we receive communion, if you can understand this, it it doesn't really become the body and blood of Christ, I don't believe, but it is a touch point of faith where I reach out and say, "I'm, I'm this woman. I'm this woman reaching out just to touch his cloak. His cloak wasn't him either, okay? Okay, his cloak wasn't him either. The bread's not him, but it's a touch point with him. And there's power and life released. So I'm going to pray right now. And I'm going to pray for freedom for a few different things uh, for us here. And, um, you know, in prayer in, with the um, worship team, one of the words that came was, stuff that hap- there's stuff that happened last week. And especially for men. There's stuff that happened last week that you need help with, you need prayer for. But, you know, you're a man and you don't want to be seen as weak. You don't want to have someone see you walking down to the front. But we want you to know today there is real power and grace here. Whatever happened last week, God, God wants to pour his life into you, heal your heart, give you wisdom how to move ahead. And another word that came was that there are going to be people here coming out of other religions. And specifically that there would be someone here whose religion is Islam. And, and, but maybe you've been reading the Quran and you've seen that Jesus is in the Quran and what it says about him and you're wondering and you're here today because you're just saying, what's up with this Jesus? I want to wor- find out why do people worship Jesus. If that's right, and if that's someone here in this service today, I just want to say, God loves you so much. He loves you so much. And if you, just, if you just open your heart to him and say, speak to me, he'll reveal himself to you. Just with an open heart, whatever that means, God, speak to me. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. 
We often think of you as kind of like the, the mother in the Trinity, the soft, gentle one, but you're the warrior. You're the one here on the earth battling the kingdom of darkness, pushing it back. We welcome you here right now. Give freedom right now. Freedom to anyone here that is trapped in a snare of sexual sin, whether it's pornography or sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage or, or some other behavior that is not the way God created you to be sexually. I pray right now a breaking and a freedom in that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, be free. Right now, be free. And you just say, God, I admit it to you. And I need you in this area. Free me right now. Open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. Renew my mind. Let me see truth that is the reality of truth. And walk in this freedom. And for any that struggle with a judgmental or a bitter spirit, it doesn't have to be here at church. When you're at church, it could be watching the news, reading the newspaper. It could be those damn Democrats or those damn Republicans. What are they thinking? God wants to free you from that. We've got to be different than our culture, and he wants to free you from that. I pray freedom right now from judgment. Freedom from bitterness. Freedom from an argumentative spirit. In Jesus' name, again, in in Jesus' name, freedom from judgment. Some of you are judging the fact that I just said, damn. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. If you are, let it go, okay? Let it go. All right? Okay. So we're going to receive our offering right now. Give with joy, all right? Let's be joyful. Servants of the bond servant of the Lord gets to experience joy. So give with joy, and uh, we're going to have an exciting time of worship the rest of this service. We're also going to receive communion today. I spoke about that a little earlier. The way we do it is uh, there will be stations. If you're going to serve communion, you can go get ready to do that right now. There will be stations around the room. You go to the station, you pick up the little uh, cracker and dip it in the juice. Remember, a touch point with the body and the blood of Jesus. And that's all that woman had to do. She didn't touch Jesus, she touched his cloak. And this is a touch, that was a touch point with Jesus. This is a touch point with Jesus. So receive healing, receive affirmation of freedom in your life. Worship team is somewhere. Are they behind me? No. Okay. Maybe the Holy Spirit fell in the back room and they're all back there flopping around. All right, so um, it's going to be a good day of worship. Let's just go into it and honor Jesus. Stand.
Shit.